0: Welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom.
1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and today we welcome back to the show Dr. Matt Letterman and Dr. Alona Poldy to continue their discussion about the work they're doing with building better health through stronger human connections. Welcome. Thank you. Matt Letterman and Alona Pulley are former medical directors of Whole Foods. Alona is a fan practitioner. Matt is an internist. And they've both been very active in, in the nutrition world. They wrote a book called Forks Over Knives as well as produced a movie plus written lots of literature on nutrition. And they're really diligent on nutrition, but they've also had a very whole person approach. And they evolved from the nutrition part into just more of a whole person wellness program. We discussed on their first podcast, this process called Connectin K I N E C T I N. You can access the work on connectin.com and they quit their whole foods corporate jobs here in January and are now doing this full time. And their commitment to this project is really commendable. And I have felt for a long time that what they're doing is what medicine is supposed to be. It's actually addressing the whole person and allowing them to feel safe with the safety occurring in the presence of the doctor-patient relationship. However, the thing that they really offer, another additional aspect of chronic pain that they offer, my nurse and I found out the last three years of my practice that we could do all these different interventions for chronic pain that were effective, but when people got back home to their families, they were triggered. It turned out since your patterns of behavior are programmed by your parents and they play out in your new family and you program your kids, your deepest triggers are your family. And of course, the way human consciousness evolved was with connecting with other human beings. We have a deep need for social relationships, the deeper the relationships, the better. Unfortunately, which I think is one of the worst paradoxes in the human experience is that the deeper the triggers, the the deeper the relationship, the deeper the triggers. Otherwise, why, why would there ever be domestic violence, domestic violence, why would there ever be as much as it is? But when you're triggered, you're disconnected, you're angry, you're anxious, you're not thinking clearly. And lots of things happen that would never happen when you were fully in control of your senses. So the DOC project last couple of years, we worked a lot on family issues, created a structure. I am not a counselor. And we had tremendous success that people that were being triggered triggered at home pull pulled right back into the pain all the time. Conversely, by creating some sort of artificial rules around engagement, like stop it, made a big difference. But what Matt and Alona have done in their process is taking this to a different level. And I'm really excited about this. It looks like our projects may interact in a really powerful way. But I just want to talk to Matt um, and Alona about this whole process about connecting in within the context of the family. So anyway, Matt and Alona, welcome back. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for having us. So, does that resonate with you about the idea about the families being such powerful triggers?
0: <clears throat> yes, absolutely. Yeah. This
2: is the hardest. The hardest people to do with are those that are closest to you.
1: But you two had never been triggered, right? <laughs>
0: never. Never. <laughs> never. We have two children, and they're perfect, and yeah, never.
1: <laughs> so, I'm curious that. Um, So just give us a little bit of background again, for the people that were not on the first podcast about, um, just the work about why it's important to be connected and what connection is.
0: Yeah, I think really it's a choice, right? It's a choice of how we want to live our lives. And in connection, we can live them deliberately with intention and with joy. We have the capacity for joy versus disconnection. And at any point in time, we have a choice about, do I really want to be, do I choose to be connected in this moment? And these are the steps to get there. Or am I going to choose disconnection? And whatever the consequences around that disconnection is.
2: Right. And, and basically, if you choose disconnection, you're choosing to torment yourself, right? And, and it's, a, it's sad because it's not a real choice. It's just how we were brought up. And those—that's how we were talked to by our parents, and our teachers, and our supervisors at work. So we, you know, it should, that's the television shows we watched. There was this paradigm of how you talk to people and how you think about people, that all supports disconnection.
1: Um, you don't—you do not have to answer this question because it's personal. But I'm just really curious in your own relationship. I'm assuming when you, you you haven't always been connected. I mean, this is a learned skill. Right. I'm just curious what happened that you came to this realization because it's not the normal realization most couples come to. They're so busy being disconnected, they never find out what connection even looks like. Right, we, we
2: definitely benefit. I mean, when I, I came across this when I was having chronic pain issues. Well, I, I dug back into when I was having chronic pain issues. I had six months of persistent sciatica with disc protrusions and doctors telling me, You know, this is, you know, oh, we know the cause and you can get it fixed this way. So, um, but I learned through actually your work and some other people that, hey, I have to, I have to connect to my feelings in in some way. And I didn't know how to do that. And I had three feelings when I first started, good, bad, and angry. And good and bad aren't really feelings, right? So it's, it was, um, it was tough. And this was what way to help me make that, that connection to that felt feeling space.
1: Let's stop there just for a second. So you said good, bad, and angry. I think a lot of people, including myself historically, would think those are feelings. Right. Why why, why aren't those feelings?
2: So anger, anger is interesting. It's, It's a thought on top of feelings and needs not met, but it's a lot of thinking, right? I get angry when I think that someone should or shouldn't be doing something, right? If I don't have thinking mixed in, I might feel hurt. I might feel scared. I might feel embarrassed, lonely, sad. But to get angry, I have to add some thoughts that someone's doing something wrong and they deserve to be punished. Uh, Bad and good are not really feelings. They're very vague. It's basically deciding something's positive or negative. And we don't actually like to think of feelings as positive or negative. We like to think of them as maybe pleasant or unpleasant. But feeling your feelings, whether they're pleasant or unpleasant, is always uh, leads to more connection and satisfaction with life. So, I would say it's whether they're pleasant or unpleasant, they're all positive if I was going to make a judgment for myself.
1: Got okay. it. So, you mentioned earlier about doing a role play, which we could do at the end or at the beginning, but it might be interesting to do a little bit of a role play um, early and then discuss what that means, the different parts of it. Do you right. want to try that?
2: That'd be great. And I was, so was going to have Alona, and I think anger is a great one because <clears throat> when someone's angry, they're just in emotional pain and they're in a lot of pain. Unfortunately, the way they're expressing it is with words that make it hard for you to hear it. So what we have to do is practice being able to translate the words that they're using into sort of a language of life, to hear what's going on in her heart instead of what's coming out of her mouth and all those thoughts I was just telling you about.
1: So Can you you see that again? I think that's the most important thing you've said, is that anger is when your needs aren't met, you become angry.
2: Right. Well, when your needs are not met, you have unpleasant feelings. Often we right. talk about anger sits on a shelf Right. S H E L F. Usually the feelings underneath are sadness, hurt, embarrassment, loneliness, and, um, um, fear. Okay. So what I do is when someone's angry, I try to look at the feelings underneath and say, Oh, I imagine they're feeling one of those, but they're using anger because that's a vulnerable place to be. They're probably sometimes not even aware. Of the feelings underneath, but I can at least connect to them when I go to those feelings, and then I try to understand what the needs are that aren't being met.
0: And just to, to add to that, um, one of the hardest things is to recondition um, people to accept that, to even acknowledge that they have needs. Mm-hmm. We, we so suppress our needs. We, you know, we should ourselves to not have needs. Right. Um, we should ourselves to show up in certain ways and have these expectations of who we are as a mother, who we are as a wife, who we are as a father, a husband, an employee, whatever that is. And we don't tap into what am I though really needing at this moment. And as a result, so many of those needs go unmet, and so many unpleasant experiences, stress, depressed, uh, angry, afraid, sad—you know—all of those um, emotions arise from these unmet needs.
1: So when you become angry, all you know, all all you know that you may not even know what need was being unmet if you're not connected to yourself.
2: Correct. Right. Often, right. often people are angry; they don't know what need is. It's very hard for most people at first to sort their feelings and needs. They're not—they're not accustomed to doing that.
0: Right here's an example. Let's say I'm waiting for a friend at a movie theater and the friend is late and my, and I'm really wanting to go to this, this movie right now. And I want to get in there early and get my seat. And so all of a sudden I'm feeling angry and I'm upset. And, you know, I have all these judgments and thoughts around my friend showing up late. Now let's take that same situation. I have an email that I really need to send out and my friend is late and I'm like, oh, Thank God, I can finish this, have it off my chest, out of my head, and really enjoy the movie. Same scenario, different emotions, different feelings, different thoughts.
2: Because of the different needs, she had a need to complete her work over here. I see. Here, she was really wanting to move forward with, you know, getting her seat and and getting some, you know, getting into the movie theater.
1: So. So I'm not responsible for what's going to happen here, but you two have agreed to, to do role playing of anger, life.
2: Right, right, right. And so, my, my, wish right. For people, my wish for people, including myself, is that when people are in emotional pain, they respond the same way you would if they're in physical pain. Right. right. When they're in physical pain, it's, hey, let me go and check what's going on. You know, how are you? When they're in emotional pain expressed with anger, they pull away. They walk, you know, I'm scared. I got to get out of here. Right. They're dangerous. Right. And I'd like them to think of it similarly. That's
1: the well, one. well, but also from a neuro, from a neurophysiological standpoint, it actually is processed almost the same. In other words, emotional pain and physical pain go to a similar part of the brain mm-hmm. and have a similar chemical response. It actually is the same thing.
2: Yeah. So, so, so biologically, it works out. Yes. Well, right. Completely. So I'm gonna have, I'm gonna have Alona. What I want her to do is, she's in physical pain. She's got headaches and she's feeling terrible. And often when people are feeling terrible. Um, they have some underlying needs they're not aware of. They might have a need for relief. They might have a need for empathy. They want, And often empathy is, hey, I want you to to empathize with my pain. I want you to be present with my pain. But most people don't know how to ask for that and or they're uh, embarrassed to do so. A way they try and get empathy is by making someone else feel pain. So if they lash out, they want you to feel the pain they're feeling. It's a pretty tragic strategy. But if we can connect to the need underneath, we can say, oh, I know why you're doing this you really want some empathy for your pain. And that's, a lot, there's, that's behind a lot of actions when we see people doing things like that. So I'm gonna have Alona come at me, like she's in pain and she's gonna come out, usually with criticism. When people are very critical, that's when they need empathy the most. So here we go.
0: It's so loud, I can't take, why do you have to listen to the music so loudly?
2: Um, so, uh, you know, when I hear that volume, I get a little bit nervous. And I just want to share that I'm a little bit nervous right now, but I know I'm also hearing that this is really uncomfortable for you and and that you're, you're just needing a little bit of peace and quiet right now.
0: Yeah. I just need some consideration. I mean, this is just so inconsiderate.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Just consideration. And it's so painful. You want me to understand that this is just, this is not working for you.
0: Yeah. Why do you keep doing that then? Yeah.
2: You've, you've asked me a couple of times and, and the music is still loud and it's hard to understand why that's you're not seeing a change in behavior. Yeah. Yeah. And that's frustrating when people say they're going to do something, you want them to follow through.
0: Absolutely.
2: Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, And then I, and then on top of that, you're having a headache. So it's really hard to have any space for, for that stuff not to happen.
0: Yeah. I have such a blaring headache. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Feeling really miserable right now. Yeah. And just wanting some relief and some comfort.
0: Yeah. And peace and quiet.
2: Yeah. Oof. I get it. I is there more?
0: No. And that's mm. that's
2: it. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that with me. And I imagine it's so hard when this is all going on on top of feeling lousy and and I have some regret because I do remember you telling me about this and I forgot and I really want you to see me also, that I value consideration of your needs too. And it was, and you know, sometimes I I forget. Are you willing to tell me what you're hearing?
0: Yeah, that you do value uh, consideration and you heard my request, you have some regret around that and sometimes you forget.
1: Yeah,
2: and I know you care about me, I know that. And at the same time when you express. Your frustration with that loud volume, I I sometimes get really scared. You know, it's in the you know I have a history of of when people yell, sometimes even got violent with me. So it's a tr- it's a trigger for me. So I notice I tighten up and I get nervous. But I also want you to know that I accept you and and you're when you're in pain, it's sometimes hard to do that, hard to speak with a lower volume and more calm. But I just also want you to hear that's a little scary for me. Can you tell me what you're hearing?
0: That it. Is- a little scary for you when yeah. I come you with right. such intensity and a high yeah. volume.
2: Thank you. I appreciate you saying that. I feel softer just having you hear that, and I want to know how you're feeling that I heard what was going on for you. How are you feeling right now?
0: Yeah, I too feel softer and appreciative, and I feel heard and cared for.
2: Yeah. So we can stop there, but that's... that's wow. That takes, what, you know, five, five minutes, maybe. I don't know how long that was, but. about three. Three, yeah.
1: yeah. I I know how, I actually know my reaction when my wife comes at me with that tone of voice. (laughs) So what you're saying is that my normal reaction would be to come back sort of at that tone of voice, well, quit yelling at me. That's what I would say. Or what did I do wrong? I would get defensive or whatever. So that was a great illustration. And so I'm so curious about how you still came around to this. I mean, it's not so easy to do. It's, I mean, what happens if you're being, I mean, we've talked about this, Matt, where if my wife raises her voice and she, she's from New York, so even if she's not particularly upset, that tone of voice just triggers me. Right. And then when she's triggered because she's not having a need met, then of course I'm triggered and of course, you get this big ping pong game going. It's just not that much fun, and it can last a, a lot longer than three minutes.
2: Right, and I did, and that's the that's the the benefit of trying it differently. Right, we can do the old way. It's not wrong, but right. it leads to disconnection and wastes a lot of time, and no one feels good afterwards. And so, so, so what I did though, you I don't know if you saw, I did sort of self empathy out loud, just to sort of, and then I and then I quickly at the same time empathized with her.
0: Now I. I just wanna add, there's a there's a piece there that's really important, which is w- one of the reasons that it went well is because there is an underlying trust that Matt and I are taking a different approach. And I think that one of the reasons that families trigger so much is because over time with so much frequency of, of communication and opportunities and interactions, there is a loss of trust and so there needs to be to begin the path with the family is a commitment that hey i'm going to i know the way that i've done things in the past and i'm really trying to do things differently and in that path it's not going to change overnight it's i'm probably going to default to my old behaviors hopefully with less intensity and less frequency over time but I would love um, camaraderie and, 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 uh, and help and support around trying a different path. And so right away when somebody comes yelling at you, or even if it comes back at, why are you yelling at me? There's a wait, stop, pause. We are trying things differently. And in that lies, underlies trust that we're gonna get there, we need to slow it down which is really hard in that moment of impact and intensity, slow it down and ground around connection.
1: That's fantastic. Just for fun, if you're up for it, just give us 30 seconds of what might have happened 10 years ago. How long you guys been together? Uh (laughs) Uh no and i'm not i'm not i'm doing i can show you i'm very good at the old way (laughs) (laughs) no i'm really i mean honestly what seemed what you just did uh, right now seems so simple and obvious but it's not the norm so just for a second just go and just go back to the old way because that's what i think is the norm and let me be clear it's not
2: simple and there was lots of things i still might have done differently it's never gonna be perfect right i was still you know, I still get a little nervous. Maybe I went fast. Some people take a little bit of breaths. They say, hold on. You know, there's all different options. There's not one right way, but the intention is the key, right? It's not getting the words right. The intention is I'm going to, and I also wasn't permissive. I still honestly expressed my needs too, right? I was, and I made sure they heard me, right? So there was a lot going on there, even though it seems simple and we could explain that maybe another time, but let me, let me show you what it would go and, like. And
0: just one more thing before that 30 seconds there's we don't get it right every time oh nearly. There's opportunity for repair. There's always the repair is really important and we can talk about that another time too. Right, we do but, a lot of
2: redos. We yes. call we call them redos where we do we say let's have we actually act it out with the kids and with each other. It sounds silly, but I say let's we're so we're sort of Not setting neural, we're setting neural pathways down so I want to go through the whole thing again. And react differently this time. And that's uh, really helpful. And we also the 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 success is is not uh, progress is not when you don't have it happen anymore. It's when it happens less frequently, the magnitude is less, and the repair is faster. Gotcha. That's that's progress that's progress. Mm-hmm. That's a right. different important so so let's uh, let's do it where you come at me again and I'll
0: that music is so loud can you turn it down
2: don't yell at me
0: are you hearing me i have a hey, crazy headache hey,
2: don't talk to me like that
0: you know what i really need you to hear what i'm saying i have a
2: so if you stop yelling at me you better come out you, i'm about to lose can it right you now. be
0: now even... are you like do you even care what is
2: wrong with you why do you keep talking to me like that
0: <laughs> that's that's what
1: i'm familiar with <laughs> <laughs>
2: But, you know, I mean, just look at how the, I mean, you're watching it. You can feel a huge difference, right? Oh well, Yeah, you know, it's, it's huge.
1: No, this is pretty inspiring. I, I love this. This is really. Good. So this us just jump all the way. I mean, we could go on for hours on this. And, and there's some other formats you and I have talked about developing, going forward to present this to people. But I'm just going to say in chronic pain, people are trapped and they're angry. <clears throat> Their families become the target. And people's families in chronic pain is just dark. I mean, nobody escapes it. Everybody, everybody in chronic pain, even if you have not too much of an impact, compared to peace, love, and joy, in a household with chronic pain in it, peace, love, and joy doesn't flourish. It just doesn't. They did a study a few years ago on 105 couples. They put a monitor on the spouses. The person in chronic pain would complain about their pain. The other person would predictably, every couple, would predictably give a hostile response every time. Okay. okay. So in a course, the person in pain, according to the monitor, that person's pain went up. We know that neurons that fire together wire together. So if you're triggered and upset, your body chemistry's off, anger is connected to pain circuits and vice versa. So everything just went up, then the average increase in pain lasted for about three hours. But what was fascinating is that the person in pain would know that the couple would be triggered, but they would still keep complaining. So it was an endless cycle, and then that's a perfect the
2: nurse... example, David. That's a perfect example of not being clear with your needs and the strategy not working. Right. If that person knew that they needed empathy, they could tell. They could say, "I need empathy." They could then ask, "Hey, is my partner willing to do it? If you are, here's what I'd like you to do. Would you be willing for five minutes to let me talk about my pain, and then you just tell me what you're hearing is coming up for me? Right? right? And then they could say yes or no. And then the partner could say, "Well, I'm not in a place right now, but can you call?" So-and-so, maybe they can, or can we do it in 30 minutes? That clarity of needs, your requests, that's key.
1: Right. Yeah, no, and honestly, one of the reasons that drives me so hard on this project is that the impact of chronic pain on families is just deadly. Then those kids go to school. And I was raised in a family where my mother was in chronic pain. And as you know, I had a very abusive background. And it wasn't like my mother didn't love her kids. I mean, it's really a tragedy for her because she was what we call a rageaholic. We can blame her for being a rageaholic, but again, looking at her needs, she needed to be heard and we were not meeting those needs. And of course, we we were reacting to her. And based on what you're saying today, which is fascinating to me in this study of 105 couples, every one of them, every time responded with a hostile response, every time. And I was thinking that in my clinic. I mean, couples would go at it right there in the clinic, all the time. Wow. And these trigger. And again, well, what would what happened is that we would. It's a bit of a story. The family issues we should talk about in a separate day. But again, people would come out of chronic pain, and their families would drag them right back into the hole. We also found out that if we actually dealt with the family dynamics. Again, we didn't have these tools that we're talking about today. If we dealt with the family dynamics in a very systematic way people's healing capacity just went through the ceiling. It was within two to four weeks, people just blew right out of their pain pathways. It was unbelievable. So this whole triggering reactions, unconscious brain, disconnecting blood flow to the brain, inflammatory markers, there's a lot going on. But I do want to finish the segment with just a sort of philosophical point, is that the essence of medicine is a relationship with your physician in feeling safe. And right now in medicine, it's become very clear that we treat symptoms. We don't treat the person. You know really well that you can't treat a person in isolation, because if you're coming in with headaches, you're going home to an abusive spouse. That's not psychological. You're under severe threat. Your body chemistry is way off. The treatment is not giving somebody some medications for migraine headaches, the treatment is helping people deal with that abusive relationship. You cannot treat a patient aus- isolated from their environment. You just can't.
2: Right. And, and the doctors are, are in pain themselves, right? Spiritual, emotional, physical. I mean, they're under-resourced, they're dysregulated, and we're asking them with all the, the only tools they have in their toolbox are medicine and surgery. Right. So it's like they don't even know, and then you give them these tools, and the doctors and the patients flock towards them. We saw we saw that over and over again. I mean, it's, right. it's really powerful. And and
1: in this, part Powerful. Go ahead.
0: In this situation, the patient, there's an opportunity for the patient not to just be that individual, but there's the patient is the family because that family dynamic is so important to the healing.
2: Right. That's right. really important that you, that when there's a person in pain. It's not that that person has a pain problem, the family unit has a pain problem Correct. and there's a lot and the family has a lot of needs that need to be put on the table and addressed, right? I think that that's really important. It's a, it's a community issue, not a, a personal individual issue.
1: But it's incredible. I mean I, you, you both know that I found treating chronic pain incredibly rewarding. I mean people go from no hope to thriving, but it was incredibly exciting to watch entire families come to life. Mm. And it happened quickly, it did not take that long to do yeah. and it to learn techniques they 're not very hard, and obviously not much risk to, to them and so now i 'm excited I feel that you know there 's a slowly increasing consciousness of what you 're doing. I know you work with a, a group called nonviolent communication which is is a big movement. And I think all of us feel that by collaboration, we'll eventually collaborate our efforts in a point where we create some type of critical mass. But it's exciting to watch people heal, thrive, and really contribute to society in a very positive way. So um, any final comments, Alona? No, I mean, that's why we
2: got into medicine, right? Yeah, I mean,
0: that is why we got into medicine. You know, really heal the person comprehensively to contribute to their well-being
2: i mean right. never did we feel like healers more than we do today absolutely I mean, so so meaningful and powerful we're, we're just so happy
1: no it's yeah. fantastic well thank you very very much i'm excited about all the things the conversations we're going to have in the future there's a lot going on here yeah. so i'm excited i'm excited about all of this this is great thank you, Same Us too. Here. Thank, you. thank you thank you
2: for you. all your work david we love it
1: i'd like to thank our guest dr Matt Letterman, and Dr. Alona Poldy for being on the show today and for sharing their insights about their Connectin program of building better health through stronger human connections. I'm your host, Tom Masters, reminding you to be back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And in the meantime, be sure to visit the website at www.backincontrol.com.